0: Welcome to the mug and bucket show with Piyush Shinde, a podcast that documents inspirational tales of prominent personalities from arts, sports, politics and business settings and focuses on how they won their unannounced moments which triggered a change in them and made an impact. Here is your host, Piyush Shinde.
1: Hi guys, I'm back with yet another thrilling episode of the Mug & Bucket Podcast. Today, I am in conversation with Neha Panchamia. She has done her Masters of Medical Science in Human Nutrition from the UK. She's a self-taught graphic designer, works passionately for animal welfare and founder and president of Rescue, a charitable trust. I warmly welcome Neha to the Mug & Bucket Podcast. Thank you, Neha, for joining the show.
2: Thank you, Piyush, for having me on your show as well.
1: (laughs) Okay. So, uh, Neha, I mean, let's uh, start with the conversation. Before we go to our sections, uh, I would love to ask you a few questions so that, you know, our listeners get to know. A taste of what Neha does. So, um, I I recently saw your post on Instagram and Facebook wherein you were invited to speak to children. Okay. I guess standard uh, eighth eighth grade no, students. Second grade. Second grade students. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I have to update that then. So, second grade students and you were speaking to them about you know how to build up an organization mm-hmm. and more kind of a startup thing. So, uh, you know, you are a mother to a child, and did it help you to make that conversation much more easier? And what did you tell them exactly?
2: I think, uh, being a mother to an eight year old most certainly helped because, uh, I was able to understand, uh, you know, what kids of that age can grasp when I'm speaking. So that definitely helped. Uh, what I really went there to talk to them about was, um, you know, I think when I was that age, I would dream, I had quite the imagination actually, Mm -hmm. and I would dream all sorts of things. And, uh, you know, uh, being around animals most certainly was one of them and um, I think that the basis to starting an organization is dreaming, having a goal, having a purpose and I think Mm -hmm. it it begins really young. Mm -hmm. So I went to talk to them about you know A of course how do you start up an organization and you know you need a team and how does a team coordinate and communicate and what's important and Um, You know, it was uh, about building an organization, but I think my personal goal when I went there Mm -hmm. was to sort of make sure that, you know, that the kids know that dreaming and imagining things and setting goals for themselves is the start of it all. Mm -hmm. So that's what I went to do, just to talk to them about how Rescue began, about the journey and uh, how I did it, how it went from one, like my dream to two people and then two more. So basically, yeah, that's what it was about.
1: So uh, would you mind telling us uh, like, or rather exemplify, say for example, I'm a grade 2 student and I want to know hmm. uh, why Neha Panchamia is here uh, hmm. to tell more about rescue. How would you do that like in one line?
2: Well, here's the thing. When I was in literally in third grade, which is actually a you know, nine year old, I went and told all my school friends that I had a hundred dogs at home. This is a true story, by the wow. way. Wow. Okay, absolute lie. I did not have 100 dogs at home. Okay, Everyone eventually found out. (laughs) But that was a little crazy dream, right? So as 8 and 9 year olds, we all make up stories. We have dreams. They come from somewhere, you know. Today, I take care of thousands and thousands of animals. So basically, if you're the 8 year old, here's what I'm telling you. That it's okay to imagine, it's okay to dream. And I'm here to tell you how you can make... You know, convert those dreams into real organizations and really make a difference.
1: Okay. So, uh, we then now move on to our first section, uh, which is usually fun. And, uh, you know, now we're going to pick up your mind randomly, ask (laughs) you random questions. So, they don't have any correlation. You just have to be yourself, like unfiltered. (laughs) And here we go. So, this is the first question. Uh, Being a Mumbai girl, Mm -hmm. what one contrasting difference... You find between Pune and Mumbai people
2: okay all right, so I think um, so first and foremost, let me clarify that the Mumbai that I grew up in, which mm. I still call Bombay okay um, so the Bombay that I grew up in is not the Bombay that it is today um, however, if I have to compare people, I think uh, in I think people are far more laid back in Pune. Mm and uh, when i say laid back i don't mean it in a lazy way i think that bombay people are constantly running they're like it's 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 a rat race they don't really stop and breathe um you know everything is passe it's you know sub you know like <laughs> bomb is blasted but life will be back to normal the next day i think that's a good thing and it's a bad thing too I think Pune people are a little more. When I say laid back, what I mean to say is, I think I, th- I think Pune people are a little more conscious. They're more aware, and uh, but when I say laid back, they do have this sense of, um, you know, let like not letting go of the stuff that doesn't matter as well. So I think uh, in general, I, I I find that a difference. Where I th- I, th- I think I like Pune people a lot more now.
1: Okay, mm, like that's a thumbs up, like plus one because we are from Pune. Okay. Yeah, so uh, that gets me to the next question. So uh, what is the funniest thing that has happened to you uh, while you were working for SQ?
2: Okay, there are many incidences, but uh, one that uh, clearly stands out is uh, one, uh, and this, is, this happened about two and a half, three years ago. And, uh, you know, we didn't have, uh, you know, uh, several teams doing uh, rescue, we had several teams doing rescue in the day, but not too many at night. So generally, the night rescues is what I would go for. And uh, so I got a call from a lady who said that there is a dog whose uh, leg is very badly injured, and it is turning black and you know, all those kind of things. And this is near Lakshmi Road. Generally, when I go out for a night rescue, I always take someone with me and preferably, uh, you know, a male person along with me so that, you know, it's just safer. So I took my little first aid kit, my box, and uh, I called this friend of mine. Who at that point was uh, having coffee with another girl, and I and he said uh, I said please come with me. He said where? So I said uh, you know she said Budwarpate, Lakshmi Road, somewhere there. So he's like okay Neha, this is very embarrassing. How do I get out of this? But anyway, he came along with me, and uh, then uh, picked him up, went to this place, and then we realized that it was not Lakshmi Road. It was actually the heart of Budwarpate, okay. which is the red light uh, you know area in Pune, and you know I parked the car. And he's like, are you sure this is the spot? And I said, yes. So both of us literally at the same time went to grab the medical kit. So I said, uh, well, I'm going to carry it. Otherwise, you know, people will think I'm, a, you know what. And uh, he said, he grabbed it. He's like, no, I'll take it because they will think I'm a customer. <laughs> so both of us had a little fight in the car about who should grab the one medical kit that we had. Well, I took it. And, uh, you know, we started walking out anyway we found the dog and uh, it was you know uh, in a in a, in a, in, a, in a sort of enclosed space but we um, i managed to grab the dog uh, you know by its scruff but the minute I did that, all the other dogs around started, you know, howling and uh, barking and they were running out and, uh, you know, the kind of area that it was, people started screaming and shouting with all that chaos and commotion and here with one, two hands, I am trying to, you know, hang on to this dog whose leg is bleeding out and I tripped and fell, the box fell, the car keys, everything fell and, uh, you know, I, my grip got loose and the dog ran. So my friend looks at me, he's like, now what to do? So I said, now we run behind it. And we uh, so
1: were running <laughs>
2: in, in Budwar, Budwar Pate at, at like this was around at midnight. So I mean, we've wow. passed that area <laughs> several times in the day. Because if you, you know, walk in the city that you have to go to certain places, you have to cross it, but it's very different in the day. It's like a big carnival at night, you know, but um, so obviously i would never been there in the night. Uh, But let me tell you, I felt perfectly safe over there because clearly I didn't look like I was from there. I was in my track pants and, you know, with the jacket completely zipped up. And uh, so here we are, two of us running behind this dog who we can see darting into different areas. And obviously we didn't have our bearings in place. We didn't know the area. So we were just... Literally running behind it and the leg was so bad that I didn't have it in me to just give up and say you know what we'll come back when the person spots it next. I, I didn't want to give up without trying. So we're running and, you know, and then the dog kept running into these alleyways or these, you know, little dark, uh, low housing where they have lots of rooms and that kind of thing. And my friend refused to get in, you know, because he thought he was going to, some door was going to open and he was going to get grabbed in. (laughs) And, uh, you know, he is uh, from the wildlife background actually. And, you know, he's very used to the jungles. I'm like, listen, you're not scared of going into jungles on foot where there are tigers and you're worried about this nothing's gonna happen to you come on anyway there was a 15 year old kid who I who I said see the 15 year old kid is coming with us let's go in so we this one sort of place that we went into and we came out and then right in front of us is this you know policeman standing there and he looks at us and he's like he had that expression on his face which was you know what the hell are you doing here And, you know, so we quickly explained to him, So what
1: did he say to you? He must have said something looking at you, you know, uh, not looking
2: from here, something like, you know, like, you don't look like you're from here. So, so I was like, yeah, of course, we're not from here, you know, we're running behind a dog. And he was like, dog. And he was like, I was like, yeah, white one with the, you know, injury on its leg. And he's like, Oh, I saw it running in that direction. And the man starts also coming with us. So it's now two of us and the 15 year old boy and this You know, policeman. So, so yeah, that was, uh, so, you know, we did that and eventually we didn't find the dog uh, that night after two hours of running and we were exhausted and, you know, we had strange people asking us and, you know, of course they saw us, you know, checking out different, different dogs and they were like, are you wet? And we were like, no. And, you know, we would just quickly scurry away. Anyway, so we didn't catch the dog that night. But I told the 15-year-old boy that, you know, please call me tomorrow. Please try to call me in the day. And, uh, you know, so it was a very long night. I reached home at around 2 or 2.30 in the morning.
0: Okay. And
2: my uh, poor husband asked me, where were you? And I said, Budwar Pet. You know, and, he, and he's like, please don't tell anyone this. <laughs> it sounds really wrong. So I was like, no, no, I was chasing a dog. He's like, couldn't you, can't you go to other more decent places? I'm like, I'll just go where the dogs are. Okay. Anyway, so that happened. And the next day I did get a call. Unfortunately, he didn't call in the day. He called at 9 at night. But still, uh, next day, I went more prepared. I took, you know, our uh, our best dog catcher because I knew exactly what to expect in that situation. Um, in fact, the next day, the people, are, people around already knew who I was because the dog went and sat in the same original location where I was trying to first catch her that night. And there were a lot of drunk people. And um, it was, uh, you know, I'm so glad that I went better prepared the next day. And, um, you know, so we were really quick. I told my boys, don't talk too much, catch the dog, put it in the car and get out of here. Literally, we did that. And of course, the minute we caught the dog and the, you know, dog always resists and there was a lot of screeching. So we had people abusing us and of course they were drunk, but my my boy was so frustrated he's like madam usko bhi pakadke usko net me dalke uska ABC kar denge I tum tumhara rakho gaadi mein niklo yahan se you know so it was uh, quite crazy and um, again my husband asked me the next day where were you last night and, <laughs> and I said it was with budwar peed. he's like Neha you've really got to stop doing this so yeah I think that's one of the funniest I'll never forget it because it was such a crazy uh, that was
1: crazy that was an amazing story Uh now we finished the sentence you, you step out of the house, hmm. and uh, you know you find a lottery ticket outside, hmm. which is worth ten million dollars. What are you go- what are you gonna do with that prize money?
2: Oh, that's really easy. I'll donate it to my charity.
1: Apart from like you did not let me complete. <laughs> Apart from rescue,
2: <laughs> there's so many other causes. If it was not rescue, I'd, but I'd give it to charity. There's no there's no two ways about so that. So
1: th- there's nothing that you would like to do for yourself, your family, something like. Apart from charity, say I just rephrase it. No, that. I
2: think that, uh, you know, stuff for myself, family and all of that. It's just one of those things in my head. All that has to be hard earned. That's okay. lottery money is easy money. And I think if it can help others.
1: Uh, if you could be any animal in the world, what animal would you be and why?
2: I think I'd be a dog in my house because, uh, you know, I'd get to, um, well, you know, dogs sleep, eat, walk. God knows I need the sleep. I work too much and, uh, you know, I'd get to eat and, okay. uh, you know, dogs in my house get good food and, you know, I wouldn't have to apply my brains on what meal I need to eat next. And uh, yeah, I seriously need to exercise and I'd have somebody forcing me, taking me out for a walk. I think I'd just be a dog. It's a dog's life.
1: <laughs> okay. So, uh, Neha, that gets me to the next question. Uh, which is your favorite festival in India and why?
2: Okay, I am not, um, I'm not a big fan of Indian festivals, because, uh, well, while I believe that they all began from a, you know, from a good place and great traditions, I still feel that, um, you know, they've kind of been reduced to sort of noise and pollution and a lot of other things which are actually completely against the festival. But if you had if but if I had to pin down, you know, what my favorite holiday or festival is, I think... um, I think it would definitely be Christmas because okay. um, I think that A, it's the end of the year. Christmas is all about cheer. It's about the spirit of giving and it's about friends, family. So while it's about also the festival of lights, I mean, people light up their homes, but there's no noise. There's music. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's... Uh, I just think it's a very merry and cheerful festival and I think that's the way to end the year with people you love. So I think Christmas would definitely be it and especially because it's, you know, just promotes the spirit of giving.
1: Okay. So the next question is, what would someone uh, have to do to get your special attention?
2: Okay, that's really easy because...
1: Get an injured animal to you? (laughs) Oh no,
2: not really. Uh, uh, Well... I think a person who is intelligent and driven would definitely get my special attention because the lack of intelligence and drive, I mean, really bores me. So I think if a person just has these two basic qualities, then uh, they definitely get my attention.
1: Okay, so listeners, uh, I hope you are all ears, what she just (laughs) said, and specifically the male listeners. (laughs) Okay, So uh, one fine day, you just, uh, you know, get up and Ranbir Kapoor, Asks you for a date. What are you going to do?
2: Of course, I'll go on one. (laughs) Okay. I
1: mean, okay. uh, Ranbir Kapoor, here's a special request from Neha Panchamia. If you do listen to this podcast somewhere down the line, I'm sure whom to reach out. Okay. So uh, here's the last question. What's your favorite restaurant in Pune? Like no matter what, what kind of mood you are in, happy, sad. There's this one restaurant you would, uh, you know, go.
2: So I think... um, uh, the, there's a restaurant called Oriental Connections in E Square. Okay. And I absolutely love that because, um, you know, ex- you know, the kind of mood that you talked about, you get to walk to the walk and you get to pick what you want. And I feel like I have some control over my food and I can decide what I want in it. And it comes in two minutes. So, so yeah. so Bingo. Because
1: that is my favorite as well. Oh, really? <laughs> Me and my wife visit there like very often. Okay. Uh, it was full of fun. I am sure, you know, listeners will get to know you in different light after hearing this section at least. Now we move on to our next section, which is the mug and bucket section. So where we will ask you a series of questions and, uh, you know, take you to the moment where people would love to know that, you know, what transpired you? What was that moment or uh, as we like to call it, the mug and bucket moment in your life? So uh, you are a daughter of a person who owns E-square, like the E-square. We all have been going to E-Square and you know, just watching movie, pop in popcorns and just come out. You kind of own that place. So why do you need fundings for your uh, uh, donations rather for Mm. your rescue charitable trust? Why is it so?
2: I I love this question. And uh, so firstly, my father owns E-Square. I don't own E-Square. That's number one. Number two, when I started rescue, the first thing my father told me is that beggars don't do charity. Okay. In fact, they deterred me from doing this because uh, I had just come back, uh, you know, I'd studied, I'd done my master's in the UK and, you know, they wanted me to pursue uh, my career in that direction. And, but I was, uh, you know, for the first time I had said, no, this is what I want to do. This is my calling. Dad, I will figure it out. I understand that beggars don't do charity, but I will figure out a way Uh, sitting on a desk from nine to five. I've, my mind will be somewhere else and I can't rescue animals sitting at a desk from 9 to 5. So I completely understand that I need to work, but I will find a different way to do that and be able to do full justice to what my calling is. So I did quit my job and, uh, and then, uh, you know, it would have been really easy for me. Of course, there was a dream where I wanted to start up a rescue center, all of that. I could have done that years ago. But I never, I, it would have been very simple if I asked my dad, he knows so many people that get me a piece of land. You know what? And he would not even have refused. But that is not the way I wanted to go about things. There is, when rescue started, like, uh, it was literally our own vehicles, two-wheeler or whatever. You know, we started small. I used to go work at a veterinary doctor's clinic who taught me so many things about first aid, about treating animals, There were easy ways, but I didn't take that. And today, in retrospect, I'm so glad that I didn't because I learned so much along the way. In fact, the land, even right now, that the rescue center is on, is donated by someone who is completely unconnected to my family or friends or anyone. They are people who have been watching us do this work for so many years. And they give it because of the, on the merit of the work we do. Whereas funds are concerned, I get this question a lot, like why does Neha Panchamya need money? Or, you know, her father is so and so, or her husband's family is so well-to-do. Well, here's the thing. We, the amount of animals we rescue. I mean, you know, most people know, they pick up one animal, they take it to the veterinary doctor. You know the kind of money that costs right to uh, treat one single animal now multiply that into at least a minimum 800 to a thousand animals per month look at the expenses that you know that that we have to incur and we don't get any government funds so here's the thing that yes my family is well-to-do and so is my father's family in fact funds are so hard to come by both their uh, csr funds entirely come to us but let me tell you even though they give their entire CSR fund to us, that is less than 20% of our expenses. The rest of the money needs to come from somewhere. I also run another company, which is, you know, got nothing to do with uh, being the founder. I cannot take a single paisa out of rescue. you No, no trustees uh, can. And in fact, I have to run another business. So, which is why I don't really have a social life. I have a child who my family is important to me, my work is important to me and thus I end up compromising on my sleep. So literally my days are basically all about the minute my kid is in school, I'm at work. Comes back home, I get two hours with him in the evening. The minute he goes to sleep, I'm at work again, whether it's a rescue or whether it's doing all the Monday and boring paperwork. So the thing is that while my family has supported us, you know, in fact, it took us years to even get our ATG and all those things. So when that came, I could ask for corporate funds. Till then, you know, it was just purely based on donations. And right from the start, this is something that I wanted to do on my own. You know, when I moved to Pune...
1: So people need to understand people that. People
2: need to understand that. That just because you're from a well-to-do family doesn't mean that the that the organization is family-run. Mm. It's not. Just the way E-Square belongs to my father, I have nothing to do with it. If you ask me what movie is going on right now, I don't even know, you know and this, similarly Rescue is my organization it didn't come with any heritage it's it, or you know any legacy it was started from scratch so there are times where I have to put in money myself that is the money that I earn because I run another media company where I graphic design so I have to work doubly hard to A. make money for myself where I remain independent irrespective of whether my family is well to do that is the sort of values that I have been brought up with that money comes and goes but all you have is hard work and your merit so you know i don't even explain this to people anymore about when you know when they say that i just smile because i realize how you know they just don't know better and it's an easier comment to pass oh you know why does neha panchamia need money but it really isn't as simple as that (laughs)
1: That was interesting. I mean, good I asked you this (laughs) and good you answer that with uh, so much of honesty. And so people need to understand that, uh, you know, running something doesn't necessarily be from your parents or, you know, it doesn't yeah. necessarily be uh, uh, fund fun rich or cash rich. Just yeah, because And, the it's parents my, are well and at the do. end of the day, yeah.
2: it is my cause, you know, and people always tell me, okay, you run a, uh, but even the way we run rescue, most people, I tell them it's an NGO. It's a non-governmental organization. It's not a non-governmental disorganization. So we run it very professionally. And the same way that any other organization, which is profit making, plans their structure, plans their management. We do exactly the same at Rescue. So in, in my senses, it's so in my defense, that's, it's, it's how I run the organization and what I make of it. It really doesn't have anything to do with my family. It's my cause.
1: Okay, that was interesting. So uh, Rescue has saved thousands of stray animals. Mm-hmm. Uh, like from very worst scenarios, work, mm. worst circumstances. And you've given them new life. So uh, how would you explain rescue to someone who is emotionless towards animals? Like I'm sure you must be coming across a lot of people like that. So what and how would you do that?
2: Yeah, I I think I come across more people who are not empathetic to animals uh, as compared to people who like animals. Um, I think there are more of those. Um, And it's actually really simple Um, for me. I respect all kinds of people, whether they like animals, whether they're neutral or whether they dislike animals. Generally, what I tell people is it's OK to not like animals, but it's not OK, okay to be cruel. Yeah. That's one thing. If I have to explain to them what I do now, clearly they are not my audience where I tell them about, you know, I saved help save this animal from the drain or from an accident. You know, it it, it doesn't engage them at all. But I find it very interesting uh, when I see their reactions change, when I tell tell them what rescue does from a different perspective. For example, I tell them that the work we do actually impacts you. So for example, if there was an animal on the street that is hurt or injured, it is a very important job that we do as an organization to pull out that injured and sick animal because an animal in pain or uh, who is distressed... He is more likely to attack or react unfavorably in defense. So while you are walking the streets, it's important. While I cannot take the animals away from the street. Well, most people would love it if I did that. But I tell them that that's against the law of the land. So I cannot take those animals away. But I can ensure that the animals that are there are healthy, vaccinated and pose no threat to you. Number one. Number two, I tell them that we engage in a lot of activities which are related, of course, to animal welfare, but human welfare and safety as well. So, um, you know, our mass anti-rabies vaccination programs or basically our uh, rabies response teams when, you know, situations arise on the road. So I think I tell them more about the work that rescue does, which affects them. And definitely, um, you know, that, that definitely does get their attention. And they do realize, end up realizing that while I work with animals, um, there's a lot of it that we do, which is uh, in their welfare as well. So I think I kind of get their attention then.
1: Okay so uh now since you're doing a very uh different kind of work and i'm sure you know there are very few ngos who are uh, into mm-hmm. the same uh, kind of work you're doing so starting an NGO in india is a tough job especially when philanthropy to indians is very different to what is what it is to the world mm-hmm. so uh to be very honest it doesn't flow in our blood yeah, and definitely. uh yeah and okay. when it comes to animals it further slips down mm-hmm. how do you cope up with that
0: Okay, so
2: first and foremost, I don't think it's hard to start an organization. But as you said, it's it's pretty hard to keep one running. Uh, organizations pop up all the time, but most of them are very, very short-lived. Uh, whereas philanthropy is concerned, I feel like our country, the kind of causes that so many different organizations have taken up, Um, I think it's about what people relate to. So, whether it's children, whether it's education, whether it's women. So, on one level, I feel like people, uh, you know, reach out, donate to the causes that they feel strongly about. Um, Animals in general, I feel, um, you know, the cause of animal welfare. Also, because the perception of animal welfare is very different in our country at different levels. Um, so I feel like yes on one side you might say okay you know uh, philanthropy is low but what I've noticed over the years is that the most simple unassuming people have the largest hearts and largest pockets when when there when there's a bonus or there is an excess I think they find it in them to give okay. and um, so on on one I think, Funding has always been a constant struggle. Like you said, animals come way down people's list, you know. It's also because people relate with them less. Um, as a culture, we haven't... I mean, I'm not talking about rural ecosystems, but even, um, you know, in our urban ecosystems, we animals are not so close to our heart. I mean, in that sense, you probably look at the dog and a cat and that's the, that's the most common pets that we have. But inherently, I think people will give to what they um, can relate to. So... How do I cope with that? I mean, you know, I tell my entire team this as well that, you know, put down, it's not like, um, you know, I I always tell them that, you know, work hard and because that and, you know, with a good intention and people will recognize it and support the work we do. Of course, we put a lot of efforts into things like fundraising, you know, we write about the work we do and, uh, you know, social media, anything that we can access, but, um, Yeah, it is, it is difficult. There is no doubt about it. But I believe with the right intention and you know, the right sort of permutation combination of doing the work, pushing it out, reaching out to people, you know, is is probably the way forward. So I don't like complaining that you know what people just don't give. People give. I think you need to reach out to them and 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 find ways that they can relate to you also. A lot of them complain about this 2% mandatory CSR. In fact, I think it's really good for them if you because it's it in fact it needed to be mandatory because otherwise they just wouldn't give at all and there are correct, correct. we all live in the same country and I think that it doesn't matter what cause you give it to eventually but mm. you know at least mm. there is a culture of giving in you know which has been mandated
1: so uh, you've mentioned now that you know it has been a tough job or uh, running an NGO in India itself is very tough you know Mm. there are a lot of uh, government uh, interference and Mm. you know raising money is again a problem so uh, I'm sure there must have been instances Mm. where uh, you would have said to yourself that's it I'm shutting this down I cannot take it anymore but that uh, but, but a moment where you know you thought okay no I can't do this. So what was that moment or what did pull you back uh, into not giving this up?
2: Okay, so um, two things. One is that whereas money is concerned, that has not been a reason for me to reach that point simply because um, in the last 12 years of rescue, there is a reason why we have never been in debt. And the reason for that is um, we always plan ahead. Like, if I know this month we have X amount of funds or are able to predict that there will be X amount of funds, we will only rescue that many animals. We learnt very early on to to say no. Mm -hmm. And we realise that we cannot save every animal. But what will come to us, we will do a 100% job of it with no compromise. So, for example, if there are 100 animals that we treat, or now, I mean, it's 800,000, 1200 animals, so, if it's, for example, just for the sake of speaking, if we decide to treat 100 animals, we will do a brilliant job of those 100. We will not take the 101 and compromise on all of them. So, whereas that, is, that has not been a factor... But yes, there has been a point many years back, I think about seven, eight years back where, um, you know, actually animals are very easy to deal with. It's people that are really hard. And um, I started this organization and when I got into it, I was very young. So, you know, of course, it's it's taken a lot of growing up and learning. But... um, uh, dealing with people is a challenge, you know, especially people who consider themselves animal lovers. It's a very, um, very, very broad term. I always say there's a responsible animal lover and an irresponsible one. So especially the, you know, the self-entitled irresponsible animal lovers. And I think just too many happened at one go. And, it, and the amount of negativity that gets thrown at you, you know, I mean, they said, you're an NGO, you're supposed to do this. I was like, no, I'm not. And this is not your tax money. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, these are not government funds. And, you know, so one side of that or, you know, accusations. And basically, I was, at one point, it just got too much. And I was like, I did not get into this to feel so horrible. You know, You, I mean, I think I, I was completely beaten down at that one point. And it was just coming from every direction. And uh, the fact is that we actually shut our helpline down for I think two or three weeks. Yeah, I read about it somewhere in the article. And, uh, you know, we shut it down for a couple of weeks. But in a way, I'm kind of glad that happened. It made me realize and ask myself why I'm doing this, you know. And um, I realized that I got into this to help animals. The reason I started an organization is because with two hands, one head, there is only that much I can do, which is why we needed an organizational platform so that more people can join in and work more systematically. And I'm not about to shut that down because 20 people have a problem with the way I function. So... What I decided, I think, I think I just put my efforts into the wrong thing previously, you know, in that sense So what I decided is, okay, how am I going to keep this negativity out? I thought about that, immediately started the helpline, you know, and got back to work and there's been no looking back after that. I think if you learn to just shut that negativity out, and I mean, ever since I've done that, we've just grown
1: yeah I mean that's a good takeaway for uh, you know people who are willing to start their NGOs or you know maybe uh, you know do something for the society that's a very good piece of advice so uh, that gets me to the next question I saw a few photos of you and your team imparting some training to uh, you know the fire department for animal rescue operations Uh I guess this was very recent Recent, so what was it about Uh, that was something new to me and i'm sure our listeners would love to know about such uh, rescue initiatives so what is exactly that you go and talk
2: i think every single thing that is done is arises from a need now currently what happens is that you know when you have any animal most commonly dogs or cats that gets stuck on uh, building ledges or they fall down drain pipes or get stuck in them or in manholes or in wells uh, most people first call the fire uh, brigade now, what happens is the fire department, but, um, and they respond to each and every one of these calls. The thing is that um, while they have the equipment, the personnel, they are spending that uh, resource, your fuel, time, everything to go and do these resources. Often they are very successful, you know, they have all the equipment, they pull the animals out. But sometimes over the years we noticed that there were certain incidents that happened where because they didn't have the understanding of an animal in stress, the rescue may have potentially happened but it led to injuries and things like that. So, uh, you know, there was an incident where a cat was on the tree and they they genuinely, with good intention, they believed that the cat, if it falls down, it will land on its four legs. But it was such a height that it shattered the uh, cat's hips and we had to take it in eventually. So the reason to go and speak to them, of course, they are, you know, the department was extremely cooperative. And they uh, were quite, they, you know, they seemed open to, you know, having a discussion with their staff about what was happening. Uh, we basically a made them understand a little bit about animal behavior and rescue protocols because we commonly do similar rescues and basically train them on when to call in an NGO. Otherwise, what happens is they go and uh, they would have spent all their time and resources the animal is already in that tricky situation after maybe two hours they realize okay this is not happening we are not able to complete the rescue sometimes that happens as well and then we get called so there's so much of time lost and that animal continues to get stressed and that eventually makes the rescue harder so the idea was to sort of go and say hey if this is the situation recognize it Call us in or if this is a situation and this is something you can handle, here's the animal behavior signs that you need to look out for. Basically, busting the myths about, you know, how a stressed animal behaves. A simple thing like, you know, just a dog wagging its tail doesn't always mean it's happy. You know, notice where it's wagging its tail, you know, notice the other signs. So, basic stuff like that, I mean... Honestly I don't, just don't think they had access to this information I, so so yeah it was basically about just uh, telling the people who are already in this situation going to do these rescues just empowering them more with a little bo- more information that would be useful on field
1: I mean yeah that's that's really nice and that's a good initiative so uh, any more such initiatives that rescue is planning or
2: we just conducted in fact uh, Day before and yesterday, we did another we, uh, training program with the Forest Department for Pune Division, mm-hmm. where all the range forest officers and the forest guards were uh, invited to this training. We had called in an expert from Bangalore. And uh, generally, they are the first responders to uh, you know wildlife in conflict or if there are injuries and things like that. So, uh, there is sometimes damage that happens uh, during transport, but during catching, handling, bringing it to the rescue center. So, basically, showing them the correct techniques of capture, handling, transportation. Um, before they come in. So I genuinely believe that all this government machinery exists. Uh, they do get training. They do get continuous training as well. But I think from the animal side of things, they don't necessarily get so it's not up to the that. mark? It's not that it's not up to the mark. It's just about the fact that there are newer and newer techniques that come out. Okay. And okay. if we have access to share and learn together, I believe it should be done. Okay. Because NGOs, I feel like... There are only so many and it, it's a big strain on us. So when it's when they already exist, that workforce already exists, I think empowering them is the way forward.
1: Okay. So uh, uh, this is my personal favorite question because uh, I, I was watching a Marathi uh, television show. Uh, there were a few celebrities on it. Uh-huh. And uh, so, so they were asking each other. So, what's what's the pain point, or uh, you know, what uh, troubles your co-host? And there was this female actress. I'm not going to name her. Mm. She said that I am very much into animal welfare. This guy, the the co-host, mm. uh, or maybe uh, I, he was not the co-host. He was working with her for some commercial or some serial. He said that she is so much into animal welfare that uh, she gets hurt, you know, to an extent that it uh, affects her uh, day-to-day routine. Mm -hmm. And the very next moment there is, uh, you know, discussion about food and the same female says that my favorite food is fish and chicken. So how would you Mm -hmm. explain that hypocrisy? Like I seriously fail to understand
2: (laughs) that. Okay, so what you are terming as hypocrisy or double standards or whatever else you may want to call it. Uh, I generally think that each person has their own sort of trajectory where they become aware of what um, they are eating to begin with. So, for example, whoever this person is, she probably gets affected by cats and dogs and seeing the street dogs on the road and watching their suffering. And this is exactly what it is because... That affects her because she sees it all the time, right? And she is probably not uh, lying about the fact that it affects her. It probably does. and uh, But the fact is that she can see that. She doesn't see the chicken and fish. She probably lives in the city and she can't see it. And it's food for her on the table. So I genuinely believe that uh, the more you know about things... Uh, the more aware you become I'm pretty certain if the same uh, actress was taken to a a place where um, you know chicken is um, you know these factories not even slaughtered but uh, you know how they are kept and those kind of things Mm -hmm. if she had access to that information if she is so sensitive I'm I'm pretty certain that it would start affecting her Um, and generally I feel that to me I am the kind of person who doesn't really advocate wh- what you should eat because I feel that everyone has a point in their life whether they become aware uh, about something and whether it matters to them. So I think that pushing uh, your thoughts down other people's throats is, um, is definitely not something I do. It's something not something that I uh, allow people to do at my organization either. I tell everyone, you are here to help animals. I don't care what you do outside of here. With the genuine um, belief that the more they work with animals, the more they will realize, I don't need to advocate that, that realization will come on its own and people just realize different things at different points. Mm -hmm. So I don't think it's really about hypocrisy or double standards. It's just about, I think it's just, these just things happen in their them. due time, yeah. you know. I mean, for whatever it's worth, at least she was honest enough and said that. Let's give her yeah. that.
1: No, in fact, you know there <laughs> were some she giggles. Didn't say yeah, that <laughs> she, she saw, there were some giggles, and you know people were looking at her when they actually cut that part off. <laughs> so I mean, yeah. So so that actually got me interested because huh. I wanted to ask you this. Uh, this was like But very uh,
2: on, a, on a just uh, just to take this one level above, uh, you know, you will have certain people who. Um, you know, it's not just about food. You pick up a simple thing like fast fashion and people with pride will say that, you know, uh, I, have, I have a non-leather bag and it is, uh, you know, it's cruelty-free and all of that. They'll change 30 bags in a year. All this stuff comes from China or wherever it does. And, uh, you know, I, I I turn around and tell them that, you know what, I would rather you get one leather bag because it lasts long, use it for 20 years You know, keep three or four bags, use them. Don't indulge in that fast fashion because you seem to be against animal cruelty but not against the human cruelty that happens over there. I mean, you know, there is a middle path. It's just about being conscious. So I think that consciousness... You know, it's not just about food. It's about what you're wearing, what you're speaking, you know, what you're doing. I think it's on every level. So I think before we pick an argument about, you know, something like this, you need to see how many fingers are pointing back at you and the other things you are doing, which you so-called proclaim are cruelty free. Okay
1: so uh, we come to our uh, last question for this section uh, mm-hmm. which is the mug and bucket moment so uh, Neha you have come a long way in terms of your contribution to the stray animals uh, and have a long way to go still but uh, you know it, it is uh, in so many ways unparalleled what you're doing and uh, I personally like I, I don't have words actually, you know, there are very few people who are actually doing this and uh, kind of, you know, you are the real heroes, like <laughs> people like you who are actually contributing uh, to the mute because they do they can't, you know, they can't tell that, you know, if it's cold, if they are hungry and, you know, it's it's it pains me to even think that mm. to go in that state. So in that way, you now, if you date back, please shed some light on that moment that actually triggered you to do what you're doing which altered the course of your life, uh, the mug and bucket moment, which made who you are today?
2: So, you know, when I um, came to Pune about 12-13 years back, um, I had actually, I had no intentions to settle in the city. I was, I just finished my education abroad and I was planning to go back. And uh, being from Bombay, uh, all, I mean, all throughout my childhood, whenever I would find hurt and injured animals... I would, uh, you know, take them to a vet or call up an organization. fairly responsive in Bombay. Also, I grew up with an old veterinary doctor in my building. And uh, just watching him treat animals used to just be, a, you know, would just give me so much joy. And uh, so I always had someone to reach out to. So if I found an injured animal, I'd know where to take it. I'd get help some way or the other. When I came to Pune uh, after my education, I was really bored because I didn't know anyone. So I quickly took up a job in the you know before I was considering going back. Um, and I would do this desk job, but you know coming back in the evening or when I was out on the streets, I'd see hurt and injured animals, and uh, was you know there were a couple of them that met ac- met with accidents in you know front of my eyes. And I felt so helpless because I tried calling every organization. I started calling Bombay organizations, asking them if there were any Pune organizations they knew. And um, I just could not find help. And I had to watch them die in front of me and feel that frustration and helplessness. And I think a lot of people can relate with that helplessness and frustration because... uh, And that's why I think I come from the same place as everyone else, you know. Um, So when you say you know it affects you that uh, you know you can't imagine what that animal is going through I came from the same place then what I started doing is started looking at other organizations okay what is there in Pune then I realized that they have different uh, uh, different agendas you know when we think of animal welfare we think one organization is supposed to do everything yeah. So in for humans your org- orphanage is not this your orphanage does its own job the old age home does its own job the hospital does its own job somehow when we look at animal NGOs we think they are supposed to do everything they are supposed to do animal birth control they are supposed to fight for the rights of animals they are supposed to be the hospital They must do everything. So, you know, you go and try to understand organizations and you realize that, hey, they can't do everything. So, at that point, there were organizations that, there were a couple of them that were shelters. There was uh, one or two that were focusing on animal birth control and that was their forte. None of them had the bandwidth to reach out to an animal on the street. So... At that point, it was like, okay, you know, we need to stop pointing fingers and want to do something myself. But that sort of moment that, okay, need to do it now had not happened yet. Then as, um, uh, you know, um, I I I met, you know, I kept meetings people socially and I didn't really have any friends in the city as such. So, uh, but I, um, so back then... Suddenly one day I get a message on my phone from a friend of a friend. And she messaged that, uh, you know, there's a dog who is in a very bad shape. Does anyone have place to keep him overnight? And I think I'm the only one that responded to that message. And um, that is the time that I met my partner who is also a trustee of rescue. Her name is Tanya. And uh, I said, yes, I'll help out. And uh, we had a little space, uh, you know, and uh, that poor dog was, this was at 11 at night. So the question was, is it distemper? Is it uh, gastro? You know, what is what is going on with this dog? She had taken it to a vet already, but it was an infectious disease. So obviously nobody was going to keep it and she didn't know where to keep it. And I was the only one who offered her help. That night was the most frustrating night of my life because our lives actually, because we had to watch a dog, mutilate itself to death. And what happened eventually was that you have two girls who are going chemist to chemist, asking for sedative. Absolutely, they thought we were crazy. Obviously, who's going to give two, two women, you know, sedative? We were like, let's try to sedate it, at least it will stop mutilating itself. It was so frustrating to watch. We couldn't get enough. It was, we couldn't go home because, you know, you know, an animal's doing this. Finally, there were one or two people who gave us a little bit because clearly not enough for the dog. Kept calling, you know, other organizations, send something, we'll pay whatever it takes and, you know, all of that. But we didn't get any help that night. And, um, well, the animal passed away the next morning. And that's, that was the moment I said, you know what? Never again. Okay. And that's when both of us decided to sort of, uh, you know, begin. We didn't even know each other. We were not even friends. We were just acquaintances with a a common uh, frustration, if nothing else. And we just said, okay, no more pointing fingers at others. We will do it ourselves. And that's how it began.
1: Okay, I I saw you getting emotional. Your eyes are uh, (laughs) almost moist. I mean, that was a very heartbreaking uh, kind of a moment. But actually, it happened for good. And uh, we really, really, really salute you for all the bravery okay. and all the nice things you're doing uh, for these stray animals. Okay. So that's it from this section. We move on to some fun game now. Okay. Uh, so you have to get out of your emotional uh, state <laughs> because like, even my eyes are moist. I can't see anyone crying.
2: <laughs> well, I'm not crying. I just. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah,
1: you, you got emotional. I no, it mean. was,
2: you know, I think uh, generally when I talk to people about that night, I summarize it in two sentences. But I think, you know, because I went into a little bit of detail, it was almost like reliving that. Yeah. I so mean, yeah,
1: Thank you so much for sharing that with us, actually. So, uh, like I said, there are four sections, mm-hmm. uh, three sections, uh, which one would you want to go ahead with? So, there's a wrong one, there's uh, know your age with general knowledge and there's this ulta pulta. So, what do you want to go ahead I don't with?
2: know, I'll pick wrong one.
1: Okay, then wrong one it is. So, uh, here we are going to ask you questions okay. and you have to deliberately give me wrong answers. Okay. Okay. So, here's the first one. You have a daughter.
2: Yes, I do. Yeah.
1: You take daily shower.
2: <laughs> no, I don't.
1: Uh, president of the USA is?
2: Narendra Modi.
1: <laughs> he might as well become. <laughs> you never know the power of Narendra Modi though. <laughs> what is 2 plus 2? 6 uh, those who are listening like if you are <laughs> going to call her for any kind of uh, pep talks for children please don't 2 <laughs> plus 2 is 6 this. for her yeah which animal is called sheep of desert
2: dog
1: what is the currency of India dollar okay she doesn't <laughs> understand Gandhiji who wrote Romeo and Juliet
2: I did <laughs> okay dogs have 4 feet mm. Yes. No 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 no. Actually that was the last
1: question and you screwed it up. Okay then. No no I
2: was right they don't have feet they have paws. I'm not wrong.
1: Oh it's no don't go into the technicality technically I am right what I said. Okay you won it. Uh so let's have it for Neha. Uh that was the last question of uh the third section which was wrong one. Now we get on to our last section of the show uh which is called Maybe Prime Minister. Okay. So now uh, you have to tell us one thing which you would like to change in this society specifically for India apart from what you're doing currently. Your one vision. Please, please elaborate that vision or maybe whatever you will do uh, once you see that, you know, rescue has taken uh, a good shape and, you know, it's into that self-running mode or something which you want to do even parallelly with the rescue.
2: Okay, there are very less chances I'm becoming the Prime Minister <laughs> of <laughs> India. <laughs> but... Um, you know, whether I do or not do, I'll just tell you something that I feel very strongly about. Um, I think that um, everything that we complain about, whether it is animal cruelty and where it comes from, okay, you know, welfare, all of that for my feed Or whether you pick up um, poverty, whether you pick up women... Uh, you know, issues with uh, women, child abuse, all the things we complain about, decisions that are taken related to the environment or every single thing that we complain, whether it's pollution, traffic, noise, whatever. I mean, you know, everyone has different complaints. I believe that the root cause of every single thing that we complain about is the fact that we are not Uh, not a country that is empowered with the education to make the right decisions at every level. Uh, Whether it is a citizen, whether it is uh, the government um, and which is why I feel like okay while the government is doing a lot in the education sector, I feel like every problem is related to the fact that We don't have the right education at the right levels. When we say right education, it's not... To me, when a person says they're 10 pass, 12 pass, I don't know, masters, whatever. That is not an educated person for me. You know, just having that degree or the qualification. Somehow we just focus on those things. So I feel the way we look at education... I think that needs to change on a war footing. I mean, whether it's civic sense, it's a little chapter in our books for one or two year, years. And you know, okay, schools now go a little extra mile where they make the kids do social work and that kind of thing. But I think that that should be the basic of, basis of our education, moral values, civic sense. Because I think that um, the also in today's day and age, where information is so easily available. Our system is just about, you know, feeding information into people's heads. They don't know how to use that information. Correct. Correct. We have yeah. internet everywhere. Yeah. How do you use the internet? That's what is not taught, you know. Yeah. So I feel like the system of education needs to change. And I feel like every single problem, we, every single complaint that we have, every single one, can be resolved will change if the way um uh you know if if we are a more educated nation and education does just does not mean you have a degree or that you can read and write and speak so yeah i think if i was the prime minister i'd put a lot of other things on the side and just focus on educating and making this country and its citizens more aware and i think that that is the way forward to progress that's
1: such a nice thought and on that note uh we end this show uh thank you everyone for listening uh we'll get back to you with new speakers next week so till then keep listening and love you all
2: thank you thank you,
0: thank you for listening to the mug and bucket podcast If you like what you just heard, please subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, CastBox, HubHopper or any other podcasting app you use. And please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn and Instagram. Want the world to know your mug and bucket moment which changed the course of your journey? Go to our website themugandbucket.com and click on share your moment. We will publish your story on our website. Until then, take care and keep listening.